Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Comfortable Discomfort. It's been a while, but I'm excited to be back, and I'm excited for this uh, for this episode I have planned for you all. Uh, I've it's been a very interesting journey planning this episode. Um, I the reason, if any of you follow the podcast Instagram, the reason that this episode is late is because I have been struggling with Microsoft OneNote. It has been very terrible. Um, I finished uh, outlining the whole thing and I came back today ready to record and everything that I changed is gone. So you'll notice that I'm I'm very much ad-libbing this and um, just go along with me. Let's get right into it. becoming a woman who knows my voice and uses it. Today, I am going to be talking about Michelle LaVon Robinson Obama's becoming. Since Michelle first came into the spotlight following her husband being the first Black president of the United States, she has inspired me. And I decided I was going to read her book, And her book is powerful. It has so many lessons interwoven. And it is my honor to relay to you all the lessons I have learned. And together, we can reflect about who we ourselves are becoming. In this first part, I'd really like to talk about becoming me and becoming us, and I will save becoming more for this for the second part. And honestly, I really would encourage you all to read this book because disclaimer, I am one person and I was not able to get anybody to come on this episode with me. So it's only really one perspective of the lessons that are pulled away from this book. So I think that it would still be valuable to read this book and pull away your own lessons. And maybe it would be interesting for you to uh, read the book before you listen to this episode or maybe after. Um, See kind of the lessons, how the lessons kind of play up with what I said and things like that. So that being said, let's get right into becoming me. I want to first start off with talking about how Michelle's parents raised her and her older brother, Craig. I think that the way they raised their kids is a very, it's a very remarkable and interesting way. Michelle describes it as them basically raising many adults, per se. And much like uh, an example that comes to mind is Craig. Uh, He had a girlfriend, and his girlfriend said, come over to my house. My parents won't be here. And, you know, he presents his mom his dilemma, and his mom says, do what you think is best. So, you know, very much you, I, 
I am giving you the tools. I've given you the tools. And now it's up to you to do what you think is best. You may make a mistake and I'll come back and tell you what the mistake was, but it's very much do what you think is best. And I think this is, again, very remarkable, very, uh, very unique in the way that they raised are, uh, they raised, they were raised. And I think that one thing that stood out to me that Michelle's mom said was, or that they kind of enlisted in their kids was that everyone on earth was carrying an unseen history. And I think this is very, uh, this is a very interesting thing. And it reminds me of a retreat that I went on at school. And it just, to me, I think this is actually very important. And I think it's something that we always need to think about. Because I think as humans, we're quick to judge people. But again, you never know what happens behind closed doors. And that leads me into the illness of Michelle's father. Michelle's father, that I, I honestly did not know this before I read this book. <laughs> I'm trying not to tear up already, but it, it, you know, it's actually a very inspiring, uh, inspiring moment. Uh, but Michelle's father, Fraser, had multiple sclerosis. And it's a disease that he dealt with for much of his adult life until he passed, uh, if I remember correctly, one year before Michelle and Obama's wedding. And I think the one thing that I pulled away from it is, you know, you can't control the illnesses that you have, but there are some uh the lesson being that in life you control what you can't. Um, you know, with MS, which is a very debilitating disease, if you did not know, uh, they would, the Robinsons would arrive early to events and they would try to find the closest parking spot so that the father, Fraser, wouldn't have to walk as much. And that's something they could control. And I think... The way he dealt with his illness very much points to the history of the Black man being strong for the family. And I think even in the same way, you could think Marion, Michelle's mom, really acted in that, in that same way as well. Because, you know, it would be easy to cry every day about this illness and to wish that it hadn't happened. But they took it on. And they did the best they could. They tried to give their their kids the best life they could. And I think I think the fact that you know he pushed through it throughout his illness, he never missed one day of work. And to me that just shows incredible strength and it's something that again, this also points to that unseen history. I'm sure at work until, you know, at one point he does start walking with um, a walker of sorts. Until that point, I'm sure his coworkers were not aware of his disease. But because of that 
moment um or but when he starts to um increasingly lose function and things like this that's when his coworkers are probably able to recognize it um and i think again it's why it's very important not to judge people and i think this also in turn kind of shows to me michelle's resilience because you know it's hard to grow up with a father that's sick and to not be able to do anything about it and i think michelle being the type a person that she is that was that was also very difficult for her to not really be able to do anything and along with that they're also um struggling with issues of race michelle at her school that she attended it started off being a predominantly white school but as the years went on uh by the time michelle left the school it was only 15 percent white the rest was uh, was made up of non-white uh individuals and this shows the thing that happened in chicago where families moved out of the so-called projects and moved into suburbs because they were scared of black people and you know to me it's just really sad that people felt like their one people felt like their kids could not be in the same schools as black individuals and that they couldn't even be neighbors with black individuals and i would honestly really encourage you all to think about times when you wrote somebody off without trying to get to know them and I would encourage you to get to know people before you write them off as somebody that they probably are not and that's what we really saw with that whole um the the whole thing with white people moving out of these so-called projects. And I think Michelle puts this in a good way. She says, the color of our skin made us vulnerable. It was something we would always have to navigate. And Michelle, Michelle really put that into perspective because at the end of the day, that is something that as Black individuals, we will always struggle with people judging us just based on the color of our skin and not based on who we are as people, which to me is really sad. And I can only hope that by making episodes like this, talking about things that make us uncomfortable, we can grow as people. And Now, this kind of brings me to the Michelle, the moment where Michelle is, if I recall correctly, Michelle is with her cousin and she's playing and her cousin goes, how come you talk like a white girl? That to me was a very interesting moment for Michelle and I think Michelle handled it pretty well. Um, she shrugged it off, didn't really try to confront it or anything like that. But 
why do we why do we fit people into boxes like that you know why can somebody not just talk you know what i mean i i think there's no really um to me i i don't think the way that you talk defines the color that you are and i think one of the the struggles that i kind of see in that is the idea that her parents raised her and craig to talk proper to not use um ave basically and to me that kind of brings up the lesson of how black people are often forced to bury parts of their personality of or parts of what makes them who they are because they're afraid of what the white or because they don't want the white man to make assumptions about them and that to me is is it's it's saddening because you know everybody should be free to talk the way that uh the way that you know is best for them everybody should be free to wear their hair the way they want things like straightening straightening hair not wearing your natural hair those are what we call assimilation and it happens one too many times in the black community because of the judgments that we receive from people outside of our community and even sometimes within our own community when you try to bury parts by like Michelle sees and this brings me to Michelle and her journey to Princeton Michelle Obama from the Chicago South Side went to Princeton University an Ivy League school and her college counselor attempted to define her worth saying I'm not sure that you are Princeton material and as Michelle describes it it was a suggestion of failure before I had even tried to succeed. Why do we sit here and put people into boxes again? Why, what makes somebody like Michelle Obama, a mostly straight A student, not capable of going to Princeton? Who defines material? That moment right there makes me very upset because I think that her counselor should have embraced her decision and let her apply, if not encouraged her, instead of discouraging her. And this happens way too many times in the Black community where somebody defines the worth of a Black individual and they limit us. They put us into boxes that can only go to community college, can only work non-corporate jobs and for some people this may be the case they don't want to go to college they don't want to go to Princeton but why are we limiting the people that want to go to Princeton Michelle wanted to go to Princeton who defines material to me nobody nobody defines anybody's worth 
Michelle, and that's why Michelle is inspiring because Michelle did not let that stop her. She applied to Princeton still and she got in. But the thing about Michelle that also is very inspiring is that she talks about the story, but she doesn't necessarily hold a grudge. She doesn't, she says that she doesn't even remember the college counselor's name, or I'm sorry, the counselor's name. She doesn't remember the name of the person. And she did not hold a grudge. She simply decided that the counselor would not define her worth and she would go to Princeton. And that brings us to the journey of Princeton. Going to a PWI, it's not easy. I am looking to try to do an episode on the experience of being a Black woman at a PWI, otherwise known as a predominantly white institution. And the thing, the the story that stuck out most to me about Michelle's time at Princeton was her experience with her roommate, whose mother was appalled that Michelle was Black. And without question, the roommate moved out. And it was because Michelle was Black. Here we go again. Defining or defining Black people without really getting to know them. The mother later in an interview with Michelle describes that it was because of her parents' experience with Black people that she felt like her daughter could not live with one. Again, why are we letting one person or one experience define a whole group? I encourage you, again, to get to know somebody before you put them in a box or a category. Stereotypes are inherently dangerous, and we've seen that time and time again in the Black community. Michelle talks about the Third World Center which honestly is a place where Black individuals, people of color, felt like they were able to be themselves. And it brings up a good point of the fact that Princeton, when Princeton accepts kids like Michelle Obama or when they look at their diversity ideas, They think about it as something, oh, well, for example, Michelle is coming in. We want Michelle to mingle with white people. Kind of, you know, an intermingling of races that they want to occur. But that's often not the case. And as Michelle puts it, the burden of assimilation is put largely on the shoulders of mainly minority students. White students... You know, I was talking with my friends about this, and it makes me think about our own experience in uh, in high school, where we would sit at the table all together. You know, my friend group is made, well, mainly up of minorities groups, and we would sit up 
we would sit at the table together. And oftentimes people are like, why do, why do the black kids always sit together at the cafeteria table? It's because it's a source of comfort. And why is it up to us to go seek out the white, the white students, but the white students don't seek us out for the most part. They don't try to be our friends. Because it's not fair that we have to put in the work when we ourselves, do you know how hard it is at a PWI to have a friend group made mostly up of minorities? That's a hard task to fulfill. Do you know how easy it is for a white person to have a whole friend group of white people? It's very easy, very easy. And you could argue it would be just as easy to reach out to black individuals and be friends with them instead of expecting black people to put out the olive branch. I think oftentimes, like Michelle describes, it's us. We're the ones that have to to do it. And people don't recognize, like Michelle posted, it takes energy to be the only Black person in lecture hall. And there are quiet, cruel nuances of not belonging. The subtle cues not to risk everything. That saying that you can be in a group of white people and you can sense when they're uncomfortable and you recognize that you're not you're not fitting in and that's when you don't really you don't really feel the need to reach out and um, to not put yourself on the line as she describes it and people don't talk about and I think Michelle puts this in a good way about white privilege I really like the way that she puts it she says you're apparatus of privilege and conviction. What seemed like a network of half-hidden ladders and guide ropes that lay suspended overhead, ready to connect some, but not all of us, to the sky. Do you see that? How, for example, Michelle and a white student can be on the same path, the same school, but the opportunities that the white student is awarded will not necessarily be the same as the opportunities that Michelle is awarded. Again, this is not always the case, but this is often the case. And I think one thing that I really admired about Michelle is that she didn't forget where she came from. I think sometimes when you're at a PWI, it's easy to stifle your personality. But Michelle, she made sure to tell people that she's from the south side of Chicago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You got to let people know. You got to let people know where you're from. And I really, I think that's something that I really admired in that story. And now we move on to Becoming Us. The love story of Michelle and Barack Obama. I'd like to say, put it on the record, that the love story of Barack and Michelle Obama is one that I'm sure we all aspire to. I, for one, aspire to it. 
it was a whirlwind, whirlwind romance, one that a lot of people didn't think would work, or that on paper doesn't look like it would work, but it works, and it's it's just, it's amazing. I love seeing them together. I feel inspired by their love for each other, and I can't lie, you know, I want the same thing, um, and, you know, I think we've seen a lot of inside perspectives of their love story we have the movie Southside um you know we have Obama talking about it in his books and but I think this is kind of a perspective that we didn't have before and I'm excited to talk to you all about it and I think it's interesting because you know it, it it's a little unconventional because uh yeah let's just honestly let's just get right into it like I said this is um definitely ad-libbing a little more than I would like but let's get right into it and um the first thing I want to talk about is that Barack Obama changed the show kind of in the same way Susan did. I didn't really talk about Susan, but Susan was um, Michelle's roommate in at Princeton. And Susan was very messy. Um, oftentimes, as Michelle puts it, she would pick up clothes on the floor and she would just plop it on Susan's bed. And that taught her, as Michelle puts it, there are simply other ways of being. And honestly, the lesson in this that I think sometimes, especially for those of us that are a little more type A, we tend to want to plan out everything. We want things to be a certain way. We want people to be a certain way. And then people like Susan and Obama come around and we have to basically kind of change the way we deal with things because it would have been very easy for Michelle to be consumed by Susan's messiness, but she found a way to deal with it, and I think that's admirable. And I think it kind of opens up the idea that God didn't make us all the same, and we have to be willing to accept um, the way that others were made. And not only that, I think we also need to be open to different ways of doing things, I think that's kind of repeating, but I feel like that's a different way to put it. Different ways of doing things, basically. For a long time, I thought, for example, I had to go to Stanford University, had to go to Stanford Medical School, had to do my residency at um, university, some university, I don't remember. I had written it all out, all the things I had to do. I had to major in biology, all these things. And uh, I remember I would be upset when people would tell me, Mary, you don't have to do it that way. And, um, you know, here I am. My major is emergency medical services on the pre-med track. I'm not at Stanford. I'm at Creighton University. So things change. And you have to be able to accept, you have to be able to roll with the punches because that's really how life is. And I think when you're able to recognize this, life becomes a lot easier. And, uh, you know, Another thing that Michelle talks about is, you know, Michelle and Barack met at uh, the law firm she was working at. He was a summer intern. 
they had basically a whirlwind romance. They dated that whole summer, basically. Um, they did long distance for a year while Barack was finishing law school. Barack moved back to Chicago. They were living together. And, you know, uh, Michelle wasn't really happy. She didn't really like the whole lawyer thing. It wasn't really for her. And I think she talks about how because she cared a lot about what others thinks about, think thought about her, she puts it that it can put you on the established path and keep you there for a long time. So for a long time, she was, you know, a lawyer. She wasn't really happy. And I remember her mom telling her something about, um, you know, focus on happiness later, that type of thing. So she did do that lawyer gig for a little bit longer. And then um, she finally was able to find a variety of jobs. But the job that really inspired me was her work at the University of Chicago um, uh, Hospital. Uh, basically there, um, she, she, t- she taught them that it was important for, um, she ta- for me, I want to say that I think this is important for all hospitals to have because Many times, medical professionals have a hard time seeing Black people as people. And not only that, many times Black people feel like careers in medicine are unattainable for them. And that, uh, the work she did with reaching out to the community, having the community volunteer in the hospital, it was it was a give and take type of thing. You know, they were giving their time, they were Tell, they were giving their doctors another perspective of Black people. And at the same time, they were taking away that they could be, they could do more with their life if they so felt called to it. And um, to me, that work is inspiring. Michelle also did work at another organization um, that she basically built up. And, um, you know, she did all of this while being a mother and being a wife of basically a politician because, um, you know, Barack, he never really did the whole nine to five shebang. He became, um, he did a little bit of like outreach work. Um, but then he also did, uh, he also did a, um, sorry, I'm losing words. He also was, if I, I, I get a little bit confused by this, but to my understanding, he was a representative for the state of Illinois. Um, so he does that. And to um, for Michelle, that really just kind of um, inspired her because of the passion and the way that he was fulfilled by it. Um, and, you know, in this, uh, this whole time, this is kind of, uh, you know, he becomes a representative after they are married. But in this time, uh, Michelle loses Susan and her dad. And as Michelle puts it, it hurts to live after someone has died. But, you know, for Fraser, at least for me, I feel a sense of comfort because the pain that he was feeling, he was finally able to be released from it. And for Susan, I think it made Michelle realize that life is short and that she has to do the things that she loves. And that's really when she starts to question, you know, what makes her happy and things like that. Um, And then, you know, her and Barack get married. And, um, you know, 
their marriage is very interesting because it starts off, you know, it's it's very nice. Barack is at home, you know, they're chilling. But then at one point, um, Barack, you know, he decides he wants to do that representative thing. And that becomes really hard for Michelle because, again, Michelle is very type A. She grew up in a family who was uh, very family oriented compared to Barack, who grew up in Hawaii. Uh, his mom didn't necessarily raise him. He was raised by his grandparents, very happy-go-lucky. Um, he sees his parents once a year, that type of thing, um, which honestly is very different from Michelle's upbringing. And it was difficult for her to be away from Barack and things like that. Uh, so I think that it was valuable for her in that um, she had to recognize uh who she was as a person and things like this. And, um, you know, I'm kind of jumping around here, but uh, this kind of goes, uh, it goes into Michelle's um, struggle to conceive. And we really get an inside look at that. And um, I didn't realize this until I read this book, but you could say that Michelle and Barack did have kids a little bit later in life. And I think that also comes with the whole idea of, the careers that they have, how long the schooling takes, and um, this, that, and the latter. And but for Michelle, as she puts it, motherhood became my motivator. And you know, she um, she worked that full time job still, and she was raising her kids. Uh, you know, they had Malia first, they had Sasha next. Um, and one moment that I really think stood out to me with Malia is, you know, Barack. Barack and Michelle every Christmas um they go to Hawaii to see Barack's family and um while they were there Barack was supposed to leave early because he was supposed to get back for a vote and Malia gets sick Malia gets sick and obviously like that was Barack and Michelle's first priority so obviously he did not get on the plane and um to me, after that, it was interesting. It was interesting how people put um, painted him, painted him as somebody who, um, who I don't know. It was it was interesting how they painted it, and for Michelle, it was really hard to see people paint her husband in that way, because especially since she knew that was really not his intention. And it it ended. And the thing was to me was why did people paint him in this way when at the end of the day, it wouldn't really have mattered if he was there because the vote they lost the vote by like two people so even if he was there like it would not have made really a difference and I think to me that was very interesting and um you know uh you know after Sasha is born you know Barack is doing his commuting from um you know he has to go to Springfield because that's the capital of Illinois and uh Michelle, Michelle learned kind of the hard way that when, as she puts it, when Barack said, on my way, I was learning was the products of Barack's internal optimism, optimism, an indication of his eagerness to be home that did nothing to signify when he would actually arrive, which honestly, I don't know if I've said this, but Barack is very optimistic. Again, happy-go-lucky, you know, he's Compared to Michelle, that you would argue um, is a little bit more realistic, um, and you you come to see that a lot in their marriage and in their race to the White House and things like that. And um, at one point, 
Michelle and Barack actually went to couples counseling. And I can't lie, I was very, very surprised to find out that the dream couple went to call, uh, uh, marriage counseling. But I think that's even what makes them even more dreamy. The fact that they were able to recognize that they had a problem and that they needed to fix it. And to me, this idea of them going to marriage counseling, it makes sense why you'll see, you'll see Barack say that if he were allowed to run a third term, um, he would not have because Michelle would have left him. <laughs> and I, I see that now because, uh, you know, Michelle did not like politics. It was hard for her to see her husband um, be a politician. Um, but the thing is also about um, Barack, and she describes Barack's passion as, you know, after he did some voting advocacy to get people to sign up to vote, um, and that's when he decides to become a representative. And she describes it as it's another thing entirely to try and get the place and stuck, which really was what Barack was trying to do. And that was really his passion um, in being a representative and that thing. Um, but Michelle, after going to that couple's counseling, she really thought that the counselor would um, acknowledge all of the things that she was struggling with. But he actually was like, ah, Michelle, you know, but like she, she was more of a mediator and things. And she realized that she was more in charge of her happiness than she was allowing herself to be, as she puts it. Um, and that's when she starts to she she did some work um, with Valerie Garrett. She did. You know, I didn't realize this, but Michelle did a lot of work before her and Barack came to the White House. And I think that's what made her even more of a powerful first lady. Um and I think um, one thing that I really like that Michelle said is, Michelle goes, uh, we didn't wait for dad. It was his job now to catch up with us, which I think is very powerful, something that I will um, carry with me because I think sometimes, um, you know, people, people go about life is as uh, life starts life at the house starts when the man walks in or the man of the house walks in and Michelle said no we are going to be eating when we are hungry if he happens to be here he will eat with us but if he's not we still gonna eat and um I really think that raising your kids in that way is very powerful and it, it you're raising strong individuals in that way people who are independent and don't rely on men to um define who they are and honestly, some people might argue that, you know, Obama defined who Michelle is, but I would disagree. I think that Michelle, um, Obama and Michelle, their shared life is one that is very uh, inspiring uh, because I think Michelle gave Obama the room to do what he wanted to do, even though she didn't really want it to happen. Um at one point, Michelle, uh, I'm sorry, Obama decided to run for Senate. And uh, interestingly enough, um, Michelle said, as she puts it, if he lost, he'd move on from politics altogether and find a different sort of job. So, you know, but one thing, you know, Michelle, if you're listening to this, which uh, honestly I doubt, but if you are, do you think you would have had the same stories to write in this book if he had lost? Um, because I think much in that same way, his term in the presidency was 
very remarkable. And um, I think it changed your life. And I think, um, you know, you did a lot of things that were out of your comfort zone, but I think it really did change your life. And it made, it made it, it made it different, but it was, it was an interesting time. And um, I think also, um, you know, I think honestly, I am going to end this off right here. And we are going to pick up with Michelle, the Obama's race to the White House. And uh, we are going to discuss that. And it's honestly very, it's a very interesting thing. Um, And thank you so much for listening. If you've made it this far, uh, this book is just, it's just really powerful. And I appreciate Michelle being able to relate to us these lessons. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Comfortable Discomfort. Um, I know you are probably on the edge of your seat wondering what this part two is going to be about. And we are going to wrap up Becoming Us. We are going to get into Becoming More and, you know, just, you know, just really reflect about who we are becoming, as I said in the intro. And I'm realizing that I really shouldn't promise dates that the episodes will come out because as I've realized with this episode, things happen, uh, notes get deleted, um, can't finish reading the book on time, things like that. So I'm hoping that it will be out by the end of next week and um, just follow the Comfortable Discomfort podcast Instagram to uh, follow updates and whatnot. And with that, thank you so much for listening. And as always, keep becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable. See you all soon. Peace.